Well, good morning. It's good to see you all here this morning. Um, yesterday was a, a special day for us. We got to um, have a golf tournament, a small golf tournament to honor our local law enforcement. And we had a morning breakfast and then a speaker and then we had a small golf tournament and we did have a staff team in that tournament and it was me and Pastor Scott, Robbie Jones and then Baron Johnson. Um, I just want to assure you that you can know 100% that your staff is not out practicing golf every day. <laughs> we hit the ball and we hit it a lot. But we did have a lot of fun, and we were grateful for that opportunity uh, to, to just honor our law enforcement on such a uh, memorable day in our nation's history. Matter of fact, we've heard many comments back uh, from uh, those that were involved that they truly enjoyed yesterday. So it was, it was a great day for us. Um, but I do want to welcome all of you this morning to our services, and if you are, visiting with us, I invite you to reach in front of you in the pew back and grab a care card and fill that out and put that in one of the, the, the boxes in the foyer here of the sanctuary, or you can hand that card to one of the, the church staff. And then on the other side of that is a place where anyone can fill out a prayer request or a prayer need, and we would love to know of that as well uh, so that we can be praying for you. Uh, but a couple of things that I want to make mention this morning. Ladies, don't forget that today is the last day to purchase your Even If uh, ticket for the conference that's going to be on September the 18th. That morning begins at 9.30, but the doors open at 9. And that will feature video sessions led by Jen Wilkin and Christy McClellan, and then a personal testimony given by Michelle Deese. There'll be a lunchbox from Chick-fil-A, and the tickets are $20. So uh, we uh, want you to be able to come to that. So see Connie Davis and make sure that you get your ticket today. Uh, also, beginning next Sunday, we have uh, our sign-ups ready for our fall discipleship studies. And those classes will include uh, parenting, finances, some men's studies, and ladies' studies. And the classes will meet at five o'clock on Sundays uh, starting October 3rd and they will run through November 14th so please make sure that you're involved in those now youth you know our ministry teams and swag ministries begin tonight so if you're involved on a ministry team uh, meet in the peak at five o'clock and then our swag ministries will meet at six also in the peak um, Kevin tells me that there's a few more spots left open for the men's uh, retreat, retreat to Snowbird, uh, September 24th through 26th. So if, if you or have a friend want to go to that, um, please see him, and I'm sure he will get you hooked up. Um, all right, so this, this morning I would like to call Amy Alley up. She has a special recognition uh, for us this morning. Good morning. Well, this morning I have the joy and privilege of recognizing Trudy Mertz. Trudy served as our Assistant Kids Ministry Director for the past two years. And I'm sh 
As I'm sure many of you know, the Lord gave Trudy an opportunity to move back to Cabarrus County Schools, which provided the chance for Trudy's children to be in a better school environment. While we have rejoiced for her family, we miss having her on staff. Trudy was truly a one-of-a-kind co-worker and ministry partner. She is dependable, trustworthy, committed, and gives all of herself to every task, every ministry opportunity, and every child in our ministry. A few weeks ago, I asked some of our HITS kids to share either a memory they love of Trudy or something they love about her. And I wanted to share a few of those with you this morning. Sometimes I think you can hear from me, but I think it's neat to hear from the little people that she spent all of her time with. Timothy said, I love that she is always kind to me. Eli said, I love that she holds my hand and dances with me in worship. Gavin said, I had to wear her tutu at camp. And so the backstory about that is that Miss Trudy and Gavin had a bet, and Gavin lost. And so Gavin had to show up in Miss Trudy's green tutu uh, to worship that night. Sadie Grace said, I love that she teaches us about Jesus. Dakota said, I love that she makes church fun. Cooper said, I love that I dunked her in the dunk tank at camp. <laughs> Sawyer said, I love that she shares her snacks with me. And Clara said, my favorite memory is beating her at the pillow fight at camp. And she is always kind and fun. These are just a few of the thoughts and memories our preschoolers and elementary kids shared with me. Trudy did an incredible job making connections with children, parents, and volunteers. She poured herself into teaching every child God's word, and it made an impact on them. Whether it was being fun, silly, and goofy, like the dunk tank and fun bets and pillow fights at camp, being a safe place for them on Sunday mornings, or challenging them to grow deeper in the word, Trudy's relationship with the kids and families in our ministry is priceless. I love that just because she's no longer on staff, it doesn't mean that these relationships won't continue to grow because that's who Trudy is. She will continue to show up, to serve, and to invest in the lives of families in our church because she loves Jesus and she loves our church. I also can't recognize Trudy without acknowledging the way her family serves alongside her. For Mr. David, serving in our toddler class, he has a really fun nickname. You should ask him later. Also serving in pre-K and kindergarten. Cadence, Ashton, and Jackson serving in preschool worship. We're coming up on Saturdays to set up for Sunday morning. Her family has served in ministry with her. And I'm so grateful for the impact they made in our church for the gospel. I'm grateful the Lord allowed us to serve alongside each other on staff these last two years. And I'm excited to see how the Lord uses her and her family in the future. So this morning, we wanted to give Trudy a frame. So the morning that all the kids shared their memories, they also made some fingerprints. And we all took a picture together. And so this is for you, Miss Trudy. 
And then just as a special thank you as well for you and Mr. David, um, a gift card for little Bailey. We love you. We're not going anywhere. We're still going to be here serving, so don't worry. <laughs> David was on a team yesterday that beat my team by one stroke, and he let me know about it this morning. <laughs> Let's join our hearts and go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for the Mertz family and for how they are plugged in and how they serve you, whether it be a paid position or just simply volunteering. And we know they do that out of a heart of love and of service unto you because, Lord, we know that your word tells us that whatever our hand finds to do, that we are to do it with all our might as unto you. And, Father, this is what they have done and will continue to do. And so we thank you and we praise you for that. Lord, we thank you that you are the perfect example of what serving means. Father, how you gave your all and served us by giving us the Lord Jesus to die on a cross for our sins. And Lord, we, we thank you that you call us into relationship with yourself. And Father, I pray this morning in this service that we make much of Jesus, our Savior and our soon coming King. Father, we thank you for uh, all those that have uh, protected us through the years, our law enforcement and our first responders. Father, we pray a, a special blessing upon them this day and that we would always remember to lift up uh, those men and women who help protect and serve this great nation. Father, we thank you for uh, this time that we can gather to, to open your word, to read it, to sing about you, to pray to you. And we pray, Father, that as a result... Lord, this body of believers would be encouraged to spur one another on to love and to good deeds. And Father, too, that the name of Jesus would be exalted and lifted high. And we thank you for it. And we pray this in the mighty, matchless name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. On September 11th, 2001, the course of American history was suddenly changed. We remember the chaos and the confusion, the destruction and the heartbreak, the shock of 3,000 lives lost in a single day. But we also remember the great resolve of everyday people, the acts of heroism that brought us together, the men and women who stood in the gap, somehow still fighting, giving every ounce of strength to help others. Decades have passed since that historic day, and in that time, we have learned that despite all the suffering and loss, our God remains faithful. 
Even when smoke and debris obscure our paths, His unfailing love will carry us through. As we remember those who were lost, let us honor their memory with our lives, giving our own strength to help the hurting, making sacrifices for those around us, and sharing the faith which brings eternal hope and peace. This is our promise and our prayer for 9-11.
Does the Father truly love us? Does the Spirit move among us? And does Jesus our Messiah forever those He loves? Does our God intend to dwell again with us?
walk through life's darkest valleys. We will look back at all you have done, and we will shout, our God is good, and He is the faithful one. Musicians, find Psalm 27, please. Living above fear. Living above fear. Certainly one thing I think that characterizes our world today in a post-9-11 atmosphere is fear. Keep your Bibles open this morning to Psalm 27. Let me say before we get started, uh, there is certainly one vaccine mandate I would be 110% in favor of. If we could bottle up David and Trudy Mertz's attitude and spirit and put it in a bottle put it in a syringe and jab it in everybody, we'd do that. i tell you what. Uh, <clears throat> uh, Kevin, I don't know where he went now. But anyway, Kevin and I were talking when she mentioned she was having to leave. Could we do anything as a church to prevent her leaving staff? And turned out it wasn't about us at all. It was about a mama needing to get her kids into a different school and doing what she had to do for that to take place. So uh, Trudy, we already miss you on staff. We love you and David both and your family, a joy to, to serve with and work with. 
Uh, talking about the golf tournament yesterday, I, I wonder if I need to preach online and exaggerating. You know, there may have been some of that too. By the way, with Darren Johnson being on my team, he has a deal for y'all. So if you want to talk to him about a deal, he's eager to talk to some of you uh, about that. And I'll just leave that there. But uh, probably not going to get 29 minutes today, Darren. Okay? Anyway, stand for the reading of God's word, please. Psalm 27, a psalm of David. David writes, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold or the refuge of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in, the, in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy, I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger, O you who have been my help. Cast me not off, forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord... In the land of the living, wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Father, we bow our hearts before you now. We ask you through the power of your Holy Spirit that you might be pleased to teach us your word and instill it upon our minds and our hearts. Lord, we're so grateful today that in you we have a refuge, a stronghold. And as we look out across the landscape of the world, we don't have to live in fear because our lives are hidden with Christ in God. And that gives us hope and assurance. If anyone here today lacks that hope and assurance because their lives are not in Christ, in God, that today would be the day that they call upon your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
Maria Stanvinkel, a corporate consultant out of Sweden, asked 65 people from around the world, what is your greatest fear in life? Now, obviously, as you might suppose, she got some of the standard answers. The fear of being alone, dying alone, losing my job, losing my health. But it was amazing what she also heard. At least one in five persons responded in a different way. They responded that their greatest fear in life would be living a life without ever discovering why they were here. Without ever discovering their meaning or their purpose. A lady from Sacramento, California says exactly that. My greatest fear to go through life and never discover why I'm here. A man out of New York City, my biggest fear is never taking a risk in life in an effort to find out what I'm supposed to be doing. A woman from Portugal to go through life without leaving some type of positive mark for those who come behind me. Ralph from North Brunswick responded regretting all that I've never gotten around to as I'm laying in my hospital bed dying as an aged man thinking about what I never did in life that I intended to do. But you know, fear can also be senseless and completely irrational. According to the Associated Press in June 1997, an employee at a Massachusetts store found a $20 bill on the washroom floor with a note folded inside of it. And that note in all capital letters said, Help, kidnapped, call the highway patrol. And then on the back of that note, there were two phone numbers listed and then a description. My Ford van, cream-colored and blue with Oklahoma plates. Well, the police were notified. They researched the phone numbers listed there and found that the phone numbers belonged to a senior adult couple, Floyd and Rita Rupp. And they put out, out an all-points bulletin on this couple. The media got involved, published pictures of them, descriptions of them. The two daughters of the Rupps sat anxiously by the telephone as hour after hour and day after day went by and no news. Finally, a phone call was received at the office of Mr. Rupp. The office manager picked up the phone. And on the other end of the line was Floyd Rupp saying, Wow, I wish you and everybody in the office there could see the ocean view that my wife and I are enjoying right now. And the office manager said, sir, you have no idea what's going on, do you? He said, what are you talking about? The office manager told him. 
Well, needless to say, Mr. Rupp and his wife were so embarrassed. It turned out that his wife had been feeling insecure about her drive back to Oklahoma, which she would be making alone. And so she had written this kidnapped note, put it in her purse just in case she needed it, and it had evidently fallen out of her purse in the washroom. Folks, whether our fears are tragic, whether they're senseless, or whether they're justified in many cases, one thing is for certain, fear is paralyzing. Psalm 27 here is written by King David, and he certainly faced circumstances where he could have been very much afraid. Now, as you can imagine, scholars have debated about wondering what the circumstances behind Psalm 27 must be. And some have concluded maybe it's when he faced off, it's a record of when he faced off going up against Goliath. And sort of what he was feeling going into that battle. Many of you know there's a Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament scriptures known as the Septuagint. And and in the title in the Septuagint, it says that the setting of this psalm has to do with before the time that David was even anointed as king. And so they speculate, some speculate that is, that it had to do with the time that David was running for his life against King Saul. King Saul was jealous of David. And David's running and hiding. And Saul and Saul's army is pursuing him. And some say that's the setting. Still others say, maybe just any number of occasions, David is a king because Israel is right between the major world powers at that time. On the southwest is is Egypt, a major player of the day. And then to the east were those great empires of the Mesopotamian world. And, And battles would take place through Israel a lot of times as highways would go through Israel. And so David would have faced all kinds of scenarios as a king where people would be coming in and through the land attacking and and David's afraid. So bottom line, folks, is we don't really know the setting of the psalm. But it does show us what an ancient king could often fear leading the people back then. David's fears were very real. His fears were not irrational in any way. And yet he was able to conquer his fears. How? How did he conquer his fears? What is it that helped him? It was one thing. It was his relationship with God. His trust in God. God was the anchor for his soul. David had a personal living faith in a living God who is greater than any problem that he had. And you know, I offer that same prescription for us in today's world. 
Have you ever stopped to think about how in a fallen world we seem to go from one crisis to the next? It may be a 9-11 like we're remembering this weekend. It might be a virus. It might be a number of things. Just stay tuned. Hey, just, just wait because another crisis is going to come around the corner. Just, just wait. It'll be there. That's part of living in a fallen world. And when you stop and think about it, what's really surprising is because of God's common grace... How settled and calm the world actually is. If it were not for God's common grace, it could be even worse. But whatever happens, personal faith and our communion with God is going to give us the strength that we need and the confidence that we need to face anything. But you know, we've got a choice to make. As we look at life and everything that's going on around us, are we going to choose faith or are we going to choose fear? We can look at circumstances in life and choose fear or we can look to God who is bigger than our circumstances and we can choose faith. And that's what David did. And let's see how it plays out here in our text. First of all, I want you to see, in in times that breed fear and uncertainty, a child of God should declare his or her trust in God. Look at what David does here beginning in verse 1. He proclaims, the Lord is my light. We live in a dark world. Darkness breeds fear. You think a lot of, of a lot of the bad things that happen in the world, when do they happen? They happen at night, don't they? A lot of crimes that take place take place under the cover of darkness. And all around us is darkness. All around us is human suffering. Darkness abounds in the world. David saw dark days. He saw dark circumstances. He saw people who wanted to take his life. And yet, what did he say? The Lord is my light. David refused to live in the fear and darkness of the world. You know, Jesus told his disciples, in this world, you will have tribulation. You'll have darkness. You can't help it. We move from one tragedy to the next in the headlines. But David refused to get caught up in all of that. He refused to allow that to dictate and dominate his life. He refused to get caught up in the darkness around him. He rose above all that to see the light of the Lord and the light that the Lord provides. You know, I think of John 1 that tells us Jesus came into the world that he is light. He shines in the darkness. And I love where it says, and the darkness cannot overcome the light. Aren't you glad of that? Darkness cannot overcome the light. Jesus is the light of the world. God is light. And what does light do? Light casts out darkness. In 1 Timothy 6, the Apostle Paul says that God lives in unapproachable light. Think of that. God lives in unapproachable light. 
In the book of Job, Job speaks of heaven as the abode of light. Psalm 104.2 says that God wraps himself in light as with a garment. Think of that. God wrapping himself in light as you would put on a suit of clothes. And light has to do with a couple of things. It gives understanding. We certainly need understanding in life. We need understanding from God. That, that helps us to overcome fear. It also has to do with overcoming darkness. Darkness is associated in the Bible with wickedness and evil and unbelief. So again, David says, the Lord is my life. And I want you to notice what a personal confession it is. Yes, the Lord is light, but what does David say? The Lord is my light. It's like the 23rd Psalm. The Lord's the shepherd, right? But what's David say there? He's my shepherd. In other words, David knew where his real security was. He didn't place his security in, in riches. I mean, think of that, about this. He was a king. Ancient kings were insanely wealthy. David was wealthy. But this was not his security. David's security, his confidence was not in his military. As the king, he had the whole military of Israel at his disposal. But the military wasn't where his confidence was. His confidence was in God. Is God your light? Do you allow him to lead you in dark days and dark times? Psalm 139, David says, If I say, surely the darkness will overwhelm me, and the light around me will be night, even the darkness is not dark to thee, and the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. In Psalm 119, verse 105, it says, Thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. James 1.18 goes on to say that there, there is no shifting shadow in God. In other words, he's constant. He's not light one day and something else another day. But not only does David say the Lord is my light, he moves on to say the, the Lord is my salvation. Now, salvation in the biblical sense, can we think of it in terms of one thing. It's actually two things in the Bible. First of all, it has to do with immediate deliverance. God doesn't just deliver his children out there in the age to come. Yes, he does that. That tends to be where we put our focus, out there, way out there somewhere. When we're, when we're actually speaking of the consummation of our salvation. But God doesn't just leave us alone in the world, say, I'll save you, but Buster, you're on your own until you get to heaven one day. Our faith is for the here and now, too. And that does not mean that God's going to remove every hardship away. 
But he's going to provide a way in the wilderness for us. Just like he did for Israel. I like that song that says, God will make a way when there seems to be no way. Then, of course, there's deliverance or salvation in the ultimate sense. The eternal presence of the Lord in heaven was David's ultimate hope. And it's our ultimate hope, too. Remember John in 1 John 2 talking about how we're not to love the world nor the things of the world because all of this is going to pass away. But he goes on to say, but the one who does the will of God abides forever. David was ultimately looking for something better that only God can give. The Lord was David's salvation. Is he your salvation? In Acts 4.12, the scripture says, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that's been given among men by which we must be saved. If God is not your salvation, if you don't know Christ, you desperately need to call out to him today. Writing to the Corinthians, Paul says, Behold, today is the day of salvation. Call out to him today. You're not guaranteed anything else. David moves on to say, The Lord is my stronghold or my refuge. Now, now folks, this is very encouraging. David is saying the Lord is a hiding place for his saints. He's a strong tower. He's a refuge. He's a strong tower that nothing in this world can bring collapsing down. Amen? He's the safe place to go. Where do you go for safety? You know, there's a trend now among the ultra-rich, these mega mansions. I'm talking about these mansions millions of dollars, tens of millions of dollars. You know what they build into them now, right? What do they build into them? A safe room. A safe room. The Lord is the only safe room. He's the only safe refuge. When life gets overwhelming, when fears get overwhelming, the people of God are to run to God. He's the anchor for the soul. And folks, when you know your life is in God's hands and you're God's responsibility, you understand just how secure you are. You're in good hands. Hey, that's better than having all state, isn't it? It's kind of the Old Testament equivalent of Romans 8. Romans 8 that says, What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who's against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather who was raised, who's at the right hand of God. Who's also making intercession for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Just as it is written, for thy sake we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer 
through him who loved us. Paul goes on to say, I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. If God is on your side, if your life is in His hands, if you belong to Him, if He's your light, your salvation, your defense, you're essentially in a win-win situation, whatever happens in life. Nothing this world can throw at you can defeat you, ultimately defeat you. You don't even have to fear death. Just read the resurrection chapter, 1 Corinthians 15. Where Paul ends up asking, oh death, where is your sting? Oh grave, where is your victory? Christ has defeated death in the grave through his resurrection. And he's the first fruits of all those who are in him. If you're God's child, you have somebody who fights for you. I'm reminded of how God fought for Israel. I'm reminded of what God did to Pharaoh. I'm reminded of what he did at Jericho when the walls came tumbling down. Also think of the book of Judges. You know, the, the police guy spoke yesterday morning at breakfast out of Judges about when Barak and, and Deborah went up against Sisera. And, and how they defeated him and, and how the scripture says even the stars in their courses fought against Sisera. Boy, now that's Star Wars, isn't it? God defeated Sisera. God takes care of those who are his. And so look at verse 3 what David says. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. David wasn't confident in himself, his riches, his wealth, his strength, his military. David's confidence was in God. God who was his light, his salvation, and his refuge. Folks, he's the one you and I are to look to today for the same. Secondly, in times that breed fear and uncertainty, a child of God should be grounded in their devotion to God. Look at what he begins saying in verse 4. One thing I've asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. I believe one of the main reasons men and women today fear is because so many have in some way lost touch with their devotion to the Lord and their time with Him. They've begun to focus on all that's going on around us. They've got the wrong focus. That must have been Isaiah's problem. Several months ago, I guess it was, I preached on Isaiah 6. King Uzziah had died, a good king who'd been a king for decades. And the people were fearful what was going to happen next. 
Isaiah's in the temple. He's probably wondering the same. And, and what was God's answer to Isaiah? Isaiah got a vision of the Lord high and lifted up and exalted in his temple. And that made all the difference in the world for Isaiah. Too many people have lost that focus. Even believers oftentimes, they just focus on what's around us. They're just looking down and around instead of up to the one who's in charge. If God is light, if he's salvation, if he's a refuge, then let's say along with David, one thing I've asked of the Lord that I, and that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. David became a one thing type of person. It's like he said at the end of the 23rd Psalm too, and I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. All the days of my life, he says there. Speaking even now of his life on earth. David's basically saying, if I could... I wouldn't even want to leave the temple because when I come and sit before God in his presence in his house. And we have to remember something back then in Old Testament times. They would associate the temple, the building, the stones with God's presence inside there. And he just wanted to go there and feed his soul as he looked upon God. If he could, he would have just gone in there and just sat and gazed upon the Lord and drawn near to God. But you know, in the New Testament sense, we know the Bible tells us we are the temple. We're the temple. Wherever we go, the Lord is. But you know, still it's nice to have a quiet place, maybe even like this. Maybe you have another sanctuary of your own you go to and you just sit before the Lord. It's a place where you draw away from the world and just temporary, temporarily pull aside from all the stresses of the world. And you just focus on God and you worship Him. Folks, what I'm saying is if we would do that more in our lives, I think that in and of itself would help us conquer a lot of our fears. Just pull aside from the busyness of life. Take your eyes off of all this stuff that stresses us and put your gaze upon Him and become a one-thing type person. Jonathan Edwards once said, if all we do is think about God, even if our thoughts are accurate, we might be better off not thinking at all. Telling others what we think isn't much better. The reason why we think about God and tell others what we've thought is so that all of us might relish the very idea of Him and rejoice that so great a God is actually ours and we are His. John Wesley wrote, one design you are to pursue in the, in the end, to the end of time, the enjoyment of God in time and eternity. Desire other things so far as they tend to this. Love the creature as it leads to the creator. 
But in every step you take, be this the glorious point that terminates your view. Let every affection, every thought, every word, every action be subordinate to this. Whatever you desire, whatever you fear, whatever you seek, whatever you shun, whatever you think, speak, or do, be it in order to your happiness in God. The sole end as well as source of your being is God. That's essentially what David is saying here in verse 4. And then he goes on to say, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. David's saying, I, I just want that lingering gaze at God, the beauty of the Lord. Think about those who have no trust in God. And spend no time with Him and don't look to Him. You know, they must fear when they get up every day and look at what's going on in the world. When they see all this, it's got to breed fear. But the good news is for us, for the people of God, there's a better way. A better way to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. To keep our eyes on Him. Because from everlasting to everlasting, He's God. Confidence in Him will not fail because He will not fail. Look at verses 5 and 6 for how David kicks this up a notch. He says, And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me, and I will offer in His tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody uh, to the Lord. David is saying, though, though all hell breaks loose on earth, I don't have to fear because I'm going to keep my eyes on Him. I'm going to keep my eyes on God and I'm going to praise Him. And He's greater than anything in this world. Folks, what is it that gives you that kind of perspective on life? Again, it's to keep your devotion time with God and keep your eyes on Him. If in a busy life you've somehow ceased doing that, let me call you back to that. That every day you would spend some time sitting before God, reflecting, meditating on His Word, praying to Him, keeping your gaze upon Him. It'll make all the difference in the world. Thirdly, I want you to see in times that breed fear and uncertainty, a child of God should cast his care upon the Lord in humility and petitions of need. David says, beginning in verse 7, Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You've said, Seek my face. My heart says to you, Your face, Lord, do I seek? Hide not your face from me. Turn your servant not away in anger. Cast me not off. Forsake me not. In verse 11, teach me your way, uh, O Lord. Verse 12, give me not up to the will of my adversaries. You know what David is doing? 1 Peter 5, 7 says, cast all your care upon him because he cares for you. That's what David is doing. David is saying, verse 7, Here I am, Lord, I'm confident enough in you that I'm turning all the cares and all the fears, all the worries of my life to you. All of these things are too big for me, but they are nothing to you. 
Folks, when our faith is like this, we can't help but pray. We know He's the answer. It's like the hymn, what a friend we have in Jesus. All what peace we often forfeit, all what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Prayer is the one resource we have that moves heaven. James says in James 4 though, you have not because you ask not. And then even when you ask, you ask with wrong motives. And he gives the illustration of Elijah, how Elijah prayed and the heavens were shut and he prayed again, the heavens gave rain. Somebody objects and says, yes, that's Elijah. I'm no Elijah. And so James goes on to emphasize that Elijah was a man of like passions just like us. In other words, he was, he was just a weak, frail man, but he prayed and God Heard. In the midst of our fears, we need to pray. We need to call out to God knowing that He hears the prayers of His people. David said, do not abandon me nor forsake me. He realized that the one constant in his life is God. Everything else in life is going to change. Your age is going to change. Your health is going to change. Your circumstances are going to change. But God never changes. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And because of that, He's able to be that anchor in the worst of storms. And then notice that David also said in verse 11, teach me your ways. You know, in prayer times it's important that we also reflect on his word and just meditate quietly too. We're good at telling God what we want God to do. Do we ever just listen, read his word and listen to what he's teaching us? We need his instruction in a fearful world. Because as Isaiah 55 says, his ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. So we need to sit before him in prayer and ask. God, give me your insight. Teach me your word. Write your word upon my mind and my heart. Give me your perspective. Give me your understanding. Do you do that in your prayer? Or is your prayer just God, give me this, give me this, give me this, give me this. Sit before him and ask him to teach you his way. What fears do you have today? Honestly, what fears do you have? Put them up next to God. Can anything compare to Him? Of course not. Lay those fears at His feet. Just roll those cares over upon Him. Are you afraid of the future? 
If you know who holds the future and your life is in His hand, you don't even have to fear the future. But you know what? If you don't know Christ, you need to fear the future. Because a future and an eternity with, without Christ is something indeed to be very much afraid of. But you don't have to stay there. Call out to Christ. Come to Him humbly, asking Him to save you. Have you been afraid either because you're trusting in yourself or the things of the world? Then you need to change perspective today and say, God, you're going to be my light and my salvation and my refuge and the defense for the rest of my life. God, don't ever let me just focus on what's around me anymore and even any resources that I might have on my own. Help me to look to you as the all-sufficient one and you are more than sufficient for me and what I need. Let's pray together. Father, help us in these days to live above fear. So much fear in the world. But as your people, may we be that example of those who look to you, who spend time with you and keep our eyes on you and pray to you. And Lord, you become the one driving force of our lives. And if we'll live that way, not only will we have a calm in the midst of the storm, but we'll be a testimony to those around us. Because they won't understand. They won't understand how in a world like ours, we can have such a calm assurance. And we'll have the opportunity to tell them about Jesus. Help us as your people not to succumb to the fears of this age, but to live above fear by putting our eyes, keeping our eyes on you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand?